day of the month, so I need your help today. And it's kind of an important one, so can you come and help me today? Callie, can you come and help me? Yeah, okay. <laughs> come on up, come on up. All right, yeah, anybody, anybody. Preferably 12 and under, but you know. If you're feeling young at heart, you can come on. Yeah, come on up, right up here. This is, this is a good spot, right here. Let's go, hi, Kaden, how are you today? Good, it's good to see you. Hello, friend, hello, friend. All right, anybody else? Last call, all right. Look at this brave girl, Brianna, right? Awesome, and Jaylee with her fantastic glitter shoes. All right, so you need my helpers today? So here's the thing about kids' sermons is that I really need to tell something to them and I need them to understand it, but I'm gonna tell it to you guys so you can understand it first, but it's really for them. Does that make sense? So it's the secret between you and me that I'm telling you this, but they're listening. Is that okay with you? Okay, so I have a really important message for you today, all right? It's like the most important message of all the messages. So I need you to let me know if you get it or you don't get it. So if you get the message, like you understand it and you hear me, you're going to go like this. Can you give me a thumbs up? Can I get a demonstration thumb? From one. Thank you, two. Thank you. Thank you. Got it. Okay, now if you don't understand me or you don't get the message, you're going to go like this. Go, can I get that? All right, thank you, Mila, very nice. Okay, so are you ready? And I'm gonna have my papers with me so I will say the message clearly. Are you ready to hear the message? Okay, all right. So you were loved and you have been loved from the moment that you were created and you're part of God's big story in the world and you matter to God and to the church and to me. How'd you like it? How'd you like the message? I couldn't hear. What, 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 what's the problem, guys? All right, I'm going to try again. I'm going to try again. Guys, this message is important, so could you make an effort? Okay, all right. All right, here we go. All right. What? I mean, try really hard. Can you try really hard? Got it. Here we go. Thou art the beloved of the Almighty, and since the formation of your personhood within the womb of your mother, thou hast been loved. And thou art an essential part of God's salvific, redemptive work in creation. And the presence of your personhood is of the utmost importance to the Almighty, to the congregation, and to myself. Yeah. No. Um, no. Too fast? Do you know what the word salvific means? No. You're like, no, no. Okay. Um, guys, I said um, <clears throat> this message is very important. And I feel like you're maybe not giving full effort. Could we try one more time? You did? Okay, well, I'm going to give it another try. And then we'll try. Okay, are you ready? Eyes here. Eyes here. All hearts and minds clear. Okay, you ready? <clears throat> sei amato. Sei stato amato dal momento in cui sei stato creato. Tu fai parte del sorriso grande sorriso per salvare il mondo. Sei importante per Dio, per Dio e per Chiesa e per me. He has given up on the message. Oh, guys. Guys, what is going on? You don't speak that language. You're not even in that grade. I'm not even in that grade. <laughs> well, guys, what's what's the deal? I have this really important message, and I kind of feel like you're not getting it. So what's the problem? English. And slowly. Okay. Understand it. Guys, I feel like I have this really important message, and I have the right to talk as fast as I want to. Like, it's not against the rules, right? But like, we can't I can't hear you. But, oh, you can't hear me? Well, okay. Talking too fast. So are you saying... That, that I'm the problem? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Me 
is not pulling any punches today. So, guys, I feel like, see, I have this message, and if it's a really important message, like, you should really try it. And, like, God, he had a message for us, and he said, hey, guys, I have a message. You need to come up to heaven so you can hear it. Isn't that what, that's what God did, right? No. Wait, what, what holiday do we just celebrate? Christmas. And what do we celebrate during Christmas? Like, what happened at Christmas? Yeah, God came to us. And did he speak in a language we didn't understand? No. no. And did he hang out with us and eat our bread and do things like with people, like a real person? He did. He lived with people. Like he had a family and like a dog and a mom and a dad and siblings, and it was great. He was a person so we could hear the message, right? And so since I want to be like Jesus, and I want to share this really important message with you, uh, do you think maybe I should try to communicate the message a little better? Yeah, okay. Should I talk a little slower? Yes. Maybe English? Yes. Would that be a, okay, yes. okay, all right. I'm going to try this again. Can we try it one more time? Yes. All right, I want to get home my hands. Get in a circle. Get in a circle. All right, you ready? All right. Oh, let the boy in, guys. The one brave male that showed up up here. All right, so do you abandon us? Yeah. All right, you ready for the message? Look at my face. You are loved. You have been loved. Since the moment you were created, and you have a part to play in God's great big story to save the world. And you are so important to this church. And you are important to me, and you are important to God. Now, did you hear my message? Yeah. All right. Good job. All right. Give me hugs. Thanks for helping me tell a great, great story. All right. Go find your seats, and hopefully mom and dad heard the message too. Well, what will we give up for love? Even when we're right, even when I have rights, even when I'm totally entitled to express my freedom, even Christian freedom, what will I give up for love so that I might be heard? As we heard last week, insisting on one's rights, even rights as a Christian, is a sign that something other than the true God is being worshipped. And last week, the focus was on Christian unity right? The unity, the harmony of the body, the call was to surrender our rights, even when we're right, for the sake of love, for the sake of the soul of our sister and brother in the Lord. And as hard as this is to hear, when we blatantly refuse to set aside our rights for the soul of our family in Christ, we demonstrate that we are worshiping something other than God. We are, in fact, worshiping our own freedom, our own rights, And so today we're going to continue in that stream of thought, this this conversation about our freedom and our rights, but with a slightly honed-in focus, namely, how does my choosing and participating, uh, practicing love over my rights, what does that have to say to my vocation, my call to share this story of God's redemptive work, of God's saving action in our world? Now, As silly as my examples were this morning, as I tried to share this message with our kids, it wasn't really that far off, if we're honest. Because for a long time, the church has been under the impression that since we are the ones with the life-altering, life-giving message, those who need to hear it, you just better hustle on over here. I mean, don't they know how badly they need to hear this stuff? And in our passion, in our zeal for the message, and perhaps because we have been inside the church for so long, we have forgotten 
We have forgotten all the things that sometimes prevent people from hearing and seeing God's love for them. All the stumbling blocks, all the walls, all the lost in translation moments that prevent people from hearing and perceiving the gospel. And unfortunately, we forget that we serve an incarnate God, a God in a body, a God who came to us exactly where we were, who spoke our language, who shared our bread, who walked our dusty streets that we might know God deeply and truly. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's continue to talk about this, the freedom and the rights. But we're going to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9 today, if you could do that for me. Chapter 9, verse 1. Uh, Paul, if you were here last week, Paul has just finished this discourse about meat of all things. And it's idol meat, meat that has been offered up to idols. And he says um, in this next chapter, he jumps into what feels like, from a pastoral position, reading chapter 9, into like hyper-defensive mode going on and on about his rights, Paul's rights. And it feels weird because in the last chapter, he had literally just said how important it was, how Christ-like it was to lay down our rights for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And yet here it is. He says, Paul, don't I have a right to food? Don't I have a right to drink? Don't I have a right to a wife like all the other apostles? Don't I have a right to earn a living as a preacher and teacher? And he throws out all these weird Old Testament references like, Don't muzzle the ox while he's plowing, a.k.a. the worker should benefit from the work. Rights, rights, rights. Paul's got him. But then, in the second part of verse 12, Paul says this. He says, nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. And he wasn't exaggerating. He had already told us in the last chapter, he gave up me at least when he was around people that were struggling with that whole meat and idol issue. And you may not know it, but Paul remained single his entire life. Now, there's some speculations as to why that was. Mainly, probably he thought the return of Jesus was imminent, and so he wanted to give his full attention to spreading the gospel, right? And for whatever reason, he chose not to marry, not which was so uncommon for Jewish men and very uncommon for Jewish apostles because they mostly had wives and like families and stuff. And finally, while it was common and totally acceptable for preachers and teachers to receive wages from the churches that they served, Paul had completely refused any payment, with the exception of like a love offering one time from Philippi, okay? Instead, he was a tent maker, literally like made tents. Now, let's be clear. We are not talking about a cushy job for Columbia or Marmot, okay? This was not a retail position with REI or Sierra Trading Post on the weekends. This was a very difficult, tedious, time-consuming, manual labor job. And frankly, it was unnecessary. Like Paul could have been using that time to study or preach or teach or write some more epistles or something, right? First, second, third Corinthians would have been great. But instead, he spent hours with other laborers plugging away on his tents, paying his own way while he preached and taught. Why? Why is he laying his his rights and his freedoms down all willy-nilly. Why is he doing this? Well, let's read verse 15. Let him speak for himself. Paul speaking, but I've made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing this so that they might be applied in this case. Indeed, I would rather die than that. 
No one will deprive me of my ground for boasting. If I proclaim the gospel, this gives me no ground for boasting, for an obligation is laid on me and woe betide me if I do not proclaim the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am entrusted with the commission. What then is my reward? Just this that in my proclamation, I may make the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my rights in the gospel. For though I am free with respect to all, I have made myself a slave to all so that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, even though I myself am not under the law, so that I might win those under the law. Now to those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so that I might win those outside the law. And to the weak, I became weak, so I might win the weak. I've become all things to all people, so that I might by some means save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, so I may share in its blessings. Why is Paul laying his rights down, guys? I love how the message says it. So much less pretentious. He says, still, I want to make it clear. I've never gotten anything out of this for myself, and I'm not writing now to get something. I would rather die than give anyone ammunition to discredit me or impugn my motives. If I proclaim the message, it is not to get something for myself. I'm compelled to do it, and I'm doomed if I don't. Paul felt the burden of the gospel, of the need to proclaim, and he was willing to set aside anything if it stood between him and the person he was speaking to, right? I would rather die than give anybody ammo to discredit me or suggest I have motives other than proclaiming the gospel. I am not in this to make a living. I am in this to share a life, a life of Christ with you. And I think there's probably some more stuff going on there, but we'll get back to that. But I want to look for a second at verses 19 through 23. In your passage, 19 through 23, the part where he's like, when I'm with a Jew, I'm a Jew. When I'm with a Gentile, I'm a Gentile. Yeah, that feels weird to me. Like when I'm with this person, I act like this. And I'm with this person, I act like this. Now, we have a name for that. Um, It's poser. And it's not a compliment. I think it's safe to say that our culture kind of understands that way of living to be a major character flaw, right? If you know a person who is in one company, they act like this. Another place, they act like that. You're like, you're kind of two-faced. I don't trust you. Well, in the 1980s, Woody Allen made this really weird movie called Zelig, and I have not seen it. But it's a mockumentary, which is like a fake documentary following this guy around, set in the 20s and 30s. And this guy, he was probably very mentally ill, uh, out of his desire to fit in and be liked, he would take on the characteristics of the strong personalities around him, like in really extreme ways. You maybe know somebody like this, who when they're around so-and-so, they're like, this way, if they're over here, they're kind of like this. Well, he was so extreme. He was hanging out with a group of psychiatrists. He literally, he dons a cardigan, crosses his legs and goes, you're right, I think, I think it's his mother, right? Or when he's with a bunch of rabbis, he would, he would, uh, he uh, sported the little side curls and had a little prayer shawl and started inserting Yiddish slang into all of his conversations. And when he was with at a really fancy party with these hoity-toity Republicans, he's like, absolutely, tax cuts all the way. And then he went down to the kitchen to hang out with the workers, and he's like, you're right, we should unionize, right? He took on the personality of whoever he was with. He's like the ultimate nobody. 
so wishy-washy and so easily tossed to and fro, depending on his company, that he had no self to speak of. And we look on a person like that with disdain, don't we? Because we pride ourselves on being our true selves. I don't care what anybody else says. If that bothers you, sorry, that's me. That is our culture. This is who I am. Deal with it. And so who are you, Paul? Who are you? Are you zealot? Are you hopping back and forth between identities whenever it's convenient for you? Well, I think Paul would have a different perspective. In Galatians chapter 2, Paul tells us exactly who he is. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I, Paul, who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life I live, I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, Paul said, it's not about me anymore. Paul and all the things that came along with that identity, it's all about Jesus. And it calls to mind what Paul said in Philippians 3. He says, guys, all you people, I technically have all of the status, all of the indicators. I have all the things, all the rights, everything. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm a member of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. I am a Hebrew born of Hebrews. As to the law, Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. But you know what? All that status, all those identifiers, all those identity markers that used to be so important, they don't matter. As Eugene Peterson says in the message, he says, these credentials people are waving around as something special. I am tearing it up and I am throwing it in the trash along with everything else I used to take credit for. And why? It's because of Christ. All that matters is Christ. All that matters is knowing Jesus and to be found in him, trusting in him and in his faithfulness alone, not in myself and what I bring to the table. And so Paul says, yeah, that's my identity right there. So yeah, I'll avoid meat. Who cares? If it helps my family and faith, no problem. And yeah, I'll work a lowly job to pay my bills so I can speak freely to you and not be beholden to anyone. So yeah, I will slum it with the day laborers because I'm pretty sure Jesus would. Whatever it takes, whatever it takes to be like Jesus and share his gospel, I will do it. And Paul, He isn't just words. He is an action guy. In that same chapter I just referenced in Galatians 2, where Paul was saying, I have been crucified with Christ. And he's saying, you know why he's saying that? He had just had a bit of a run-in with Peter. Now, do you remember Peter? Apostle Peter. Peter walked on water, Peter. The Peter, okay? Now, Peter and Paul were having a meal together, and there were some Gentiles in the crowd. And they all had come to believe that God had opened the table for everyone, and we can eat together and be together, and it's going to be great, right? Paul, Peter, the whole shebang. Well, apparently as they're eating, some very important Jewish authorities, high-standing Jews, walked into the room. And Peter was like, oh, I'm sorry, can't eat with y'all. I'm going to move over to the Jew table because y'all Gentiles are unclean. And Paul, oh, we got to love Paul. He was like, uh, um, excuse me, no, sorry, that is not going to fly. You are playing the status card, Peter, and that is a really weak hand. The only card I'm going to play is Christ. And he has declared the table open. It doesn't matter 
If all the right people look down on you, what matters is faithfulness to Jesus and Jesus' message of love and forgiveness and wholeness to everyone. And I am absolutely sure that Paul was everybody's BFF for that one, right? Because nobody likes to be called out quite like that. It was a costly move. It was, it was bold to reject his status, to reject his rights, to identify with the lowly, like the tent makers and the day laborers, to set aside his preferences, to be present with people exactly where they were, as Jews, as Gentiles, as pagans, whoever they were. He was willing to be present with them as they were in order that they might hear the gospel, the blessed good news that God is for them. God is for them, not just me. But here's the thing, and maybe this is just the cynical American side of me, the side of me that is so used to being marketed to, so used to constantly being manipulated by the media and companies that I have to ask, is this just a strategy on Paul's part? You know what I mean? Like, was Paul doing this whole I'm laying down my rights thing because that was just the most effective means to his end to share the gospel? And I was listening to this social science podcast the other day, which will give you a glimpse into the depth of my nerdiness right there. But um, it was all about marketing and how it affects the brain. And back in the day, it, was, uh, it all just used to be just like paper you know, ads in the paper, and then radio came, so there's jingles, and then TV came, and they used to have these really exaggerated claims, and people would believe it, like this one, for instance, uh, wash away fat and years of age, and no one went to jail for publishing this, <laughs> because that is false, right? And so they realized after, we got, we got wise, right? We got wise, as the culture says, yeah, that, your fat soap, that doesn't work, right? And so they changed their tactics. And then they had, you know, more subtle ways. You know, like you watch a TV show and someone is drinking Pepsi with the can faced conveniently outward. You know, you're like, oh, Pepsi, wow, that was smooth, right? I see what you did there. And now it's getting even more, in, you know, implicit. Like, did you know, and if there's any teenagers who are here uh, who are not at retreat, you will, this, you can aspire to this. You can be, as a career, a social media influencer have you heard of this where instead of like having like an advertisement for awesome water bottles they give the water bottles to people who have a lot of instagram followers and the instagram followers are like i went on a hike today and i'm so fit look at my water bottle like 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 and that is how that is their life they get paid to go on hikes and drink out of water bottles you too can aspire to this life but it's, it's a strategy that is trying to manipulate us to grasp their message and be like, oh, yeah, I need that water bottle to be fit, right? And we know what it is to be manipulated. And so when I look at what Paul's doing here, I'm like, is this just a ploy, Paul? I'm laying down my rights. I'm playing the victim card so you'll hear the gospel because I'm just so lowly. Is that his strategy? Well, here's the thing, <laughs> Paul. I think I'm just going to come off as really self-effacing and deny my rights, and I think I'm going to get the most followers that way. Yeah, no. In that culture, that was the opposite of the norm, and that was looked upon with disdain because that culture was very self-promoting, very assertive about one's status and one, one's rights, very hierarchical. And so if Paul was playing a strategy game, he was playing it very poorly. Okay? 
if denying his rights and surrendering his status, meeting people where they were, and ins- instead of insisting they come to him, if that, was, if that wasn't a strategy, then what was it? Why? Well, the thing about Paul was he was seeking congruence. Congruence between his message and his method. He wanted his method to match his message. He wanted what he said to match how he said it. You know what I mean? Think of it like this way. Imagine a preacher, and it's definitely not me. Imagine a different preacher. uh, Comes to you and says, you know what? I'm going to preach to you about why you should be really encouraging. And you know why I'm going to preach it? Because you're so bad at it. You need to be encouraging, and you are really bad at it. And I'm going to give you five tips on how to get it because you are so bad. You are the worst encouraging. Now, the preacher might have some really good tips on encouragement, but I'm pretty sure I can't hear them because I am so distracted by the method because the method stands in direct conflict with the message. You can't preach me about encouragement by beating me up. It's not going to work. And so Paul, he wants to bring this message of God come down. God so wildly in love with creation and so heartbroken at the mess that we have found ourselves in that God laid aside his rights, God laid aside his status and his freedoms and became flesh. God came to us when we were mired in our sin and our shame. And that is the story, the message that Paul feels so compelled So called to share of God come down to heal and forgive and restore and make new. A God so committed to us that he would give up his rights so that we could get the message. And so Paul, as one whose identity has been disassembled, all the status, all the identifiers, all those marks that told him who he was, it has been disassembled and has been purified and made holy and put back together with Christ as his core. And so he wants to communicate this message of God come down with a method that matches. Because of Jesus, Paul will gladly lay down his rights to eat meat. Who cares? He will give up having a wife. He will give up getting paid for his work. He'll have a menial job. He wants the way he conducts his life, his method to match the message of this radical self-giving, self-emptying, all for others' love of Jesus. Walk this way. It isn't what you think. It's not a list of to-dos. It's not a Bible-washed Follow your heart, mantra. No, walk this way. The whole thing, every step, centers around the person of Jesus. Does this step bring me closer to you, Lord? Does this step make me more free, or does it chain me back up? Does this step make me rely on anything more than you? Does this step make me thirst for anything more than I thirst for you, O spring of living water? Does this step match the message that I am declaring? 
or are the steps that I'm taking, the method of my living, do they detract from this message of God come down? God entered into the mess so we might know and accept our belovedness. Does how I'm walking match the message I'm preaching? Does how I'm walking match the message I'm preaching? It's a hard thing for a preacher to say. And it applies to you too. Walk this way. It's a downward slope. Downward mobility, the theologians call it. It's the opposite of the ladder climb that culture is trying to sell us. And so as we walk this way of Jesus, as we patiently ask those questions, am I coming nearer? Am I moving closer? And as we listen obediently and respond to the answer, we are reshaped into the image of Jesus. And so, like Paul, we find ourselves saying, whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as a loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. I regard them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. You see, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and to share in his sufferings by becoming like him in his death, if somehow I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this or that I've already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. We press on. We walk this way. Not walking some ethical high wire to make sure we're on God's good side. And not throwing it to the wind and saying, oh, just live and let live because grace. But walking hand in hand in step with the Spirit, all for the sake of the gospel, all for the sake of love who has called us by name and named us rightly as beloved and invites us to enjoy, to join that life-giving mission by giving our lives away, our rights away, so that others might hear. Well, today we will receive Eucharist, the communion the physical reminder of God come down, poured out for us. You see, his body broken for us, his blood shed for us. And so as we eat the bread and we drink the cup, may we remember Christ's sacrifice for us, not only as the means of our salvation, but as the method, the way in which we too are called to walk, giving ourselves away, giving our status, our rights, our very selves, so the world might hear. May it be so. Let's pray. Lord God, as you have given your life on our behalf, as you came to where we were, not forcing us to figure it out and come to you, you came to us, poured out yourself, gave up your rights and your freedoms because of love. We say thank you. We say thank you for that great act of love that opened up the way for us to be in relationship with you, to be healed and made whole, both now and forever. 
people would recognize it's not just a blessing to receive, but it's a call to embody. Lord, we too are called to pour out our lives, to lay down our rights, to lay down our preferences in orders that others might hear the gospel. May we never stand between someone and the good news. May instead we be a conduit, a means of grace to those who need to hear that they are the beloved. Lord, would you give us clear minds and clear hearts to respond to this call, to walk this way, this cruciform, cross-shaped, pour-your-life-out kind of life. May you rely fully on your grace to empower us along the way. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Spirit. Amen. Beloved, would you extend your hands to receive the benediction? Beloved, as Christ has poured out his life on your behalf, may you respond to his call pour your life out as well for the sake of the world. May we go in action and go in peace. Walk this way. Amen. You are dismissed.